Welcome back to another episode of Boost You. We are super happy to be back with another episode. I am Maddie Duke. And I'm Corey Robertson. And today we are going to get a little bit more into the task list and some topics and questions that our students have expressed morning answers to. Um, so today we are going to focus specifically on a couple areas within content area B. So the goal is to cover complex schedules of reinforcement and then simple and conditional discriminations. Um, and Corey just shared with me that on the day that we're recording this, he just taught complex schedules of reinforcement. So great timing. Fresh in my mind. Yeah. <laughs> Perfect. Yeah. So I don't know. Do you think that it's beneficial if we cover like real quick simple schedules of reinforcement or just oh not a bad idea right give us some context yeah um, you know the thing I think about with schedules of reinforcement is they're basically the rules by which we deliver the reinforcer and and they, I think when we learn about them it can really be tempting to think that they only apply to laboratory settings and it was just sort of the process of figuring this stuff out um, but they definitely are, are real life applications and understanding them will make you a better behavior analyst. Um, so, yeah, our simple schedules. Well, the two main uh, criteria that we can use to talk about delivery of, the, of that reinforcing stimulus is um, based on the rate of responding, how many responses it takes you to to produce that reinforcer. And that's called a ratio schedule. The word rates right in there. You can also think of it as the ratio of responses to the reinforcer deliveries. How many do you have to do before you get the, the 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 pay, right? And then the other is interval. And that's tricky because there's still a response required. The interval is basically a period of unavailability. You can't get it until the interval expires. And then the first response produces the uh, uh, the reinforcer and the interval resets. So those, we have ratio interval schedules. And then we can uh, have two ways of that criteria being applied. The first is fixed in which the criteria stays the same. And in a variable schedule, it, it randomizes around some value. And I always try to point out to students as well that, that, that this is pre-planned. We should have a list of, of numbers. We know we're waiting for the third response right now, or we're going to be not reinforcing the behavior until you know five minutes has passed in this particular interval. It's not just I feel like. Because I think sometimes we loosely talk about these guys. I'm on a BR5. I feel like I'm reinforcing every fifth correct response. Um, no, you should have either an app that's generating those intervals for you, or you have a, a list of numbers that averages out to whatever that value is. Yeah. Um, so those that's are specific to yeah. the clinical application, because we can also look at, you know, a parent whose child is asking for a snack. We can also define their schedule of reinforcing that ask, um, but the parent doesn't necessarily have to have, I'm going to use a VR3 today. Right. We probably would just broadly classify that if they're on an intermittent schedule, we know that yeah. for sure, right? Yeah, exactly. Right. Um, and that's another important thing. These schedules of reinforcement produce very specific patterns of responding um, in, in non-human animals and also in humans. And so that becomes important when you talk about choosing the delivery of reinforcement. I've definitely seen clinical cases where somebody suggested one thing and I said, I don't think you want to do that because here's the, the pattern you're going to get. And I don't think that's what you want. So um, interval schedules are much better at you know getting a steady, even pace 
pace of responding, um, ratio schedules are more likely to produce bursts of responding, those sort of things. We, we do need to be aware of those. It isn't just laboratory stuff, to be sure. There's a, I, I can try to find it and link it in the description box of the podcast, but uh, I took my advanced concepts class from Dr. Goki and she assigned us a reading on um, the passage of laws by Congress. That's uh, the one I was to mention that. Yeah. Wait, perfect. Uh, so, so, you know, it too, they're scalloped responding and how they match, uh, you know, that fixed interval schedule. They, they increase the amount of laws that they pass right before Towards the end. Yeah. Right before that reinforcement's available in the form of reelection. Yeah. I think that um, I, I call that affectionately the slacker slope. And, uh, <laughs> and, and that's, I, you know, that's kind of like deadline responding, uh, and so it's a new excuse for us as behavior analysts. You know, we're not procrastinators. We're just very often uh, functioning on a fixed interval schedule. You know, I, I can work on this presentation, but it's not due until I get up on stage. So that's when I'm going to be doing the most of my work is right before exactly. <laughs> the reinforcement's coming, uh, even though I could probably do things to, to space it out. Um, okay, so let's get into some of these complex schedules. I'm just going to go in order of our outline because mm-hmm. I am. Uh, so first we have a multiple schedule. So a multiple schedule just is alternating between two schedules. We've got one effect at a time. And then, oh, actually, there's one missing here. Let's talk about this one first, actually. I, let's back up just a second. Before we talk about multiple schedules, concurrent schedules. And the reason I like to talk about concurrent schedules first and foremost is because it's the only one that's available concurrently, simultaneously. The concurrent schedule is that you can go with this or you can go with that schedule. You know, you've got a choice and it's how we evaluate choice responding. And uh, somebody once said life is a bowl of concurrent schedules because we have lots of options. Um, Right now, you could be listening to this podcast. You could probably be doing something else that was more productive. I don't know. We want you listening to the (laughs) podcast. But um, but definitely, and the matching law applies to uh, uh, concurrent schedules. But that's where they're both simultaneously in effect. And that kind of helps us, I think, make the distinction between a concurrent schedule and a multiple schedule where only one of them is in place at a particular time. And then the other key feature of a multiple schedule is that it is signal. There are discrete stimuli associated with each schedule such that we can learn to distinguish or discriminate um, what schedules in effect at any given time. Uh, and, and again, it's not about rules. It's not about verbal behavior. I give examples in class where I just do, you know, if there's a green light on, it's an FR5 maybe, and, and I can tap the desk five times in a row and get reinforcement, or the pigeon will, will you know, peck five times and get reinforcement, or the, uh, the, the you know, rat will press a lever five times. It, it, it will figure these things out. But what you will quickly see is a particular pattern of responding under that, you know, in my example, the green light condition. And then if the red light comes on, let's say it's an FI 10 second schedule where the first response after 10 seconds uh, produces reinforcement. And so what you're likely to see is, is, is a pause of a couple of seconds and then slow responding until, okay, well, how long has 10 seconds been, right? And so, and it just goes back. So green light, red light, multiple schedules. And those are probably, uh, there. you have a real life example, I'll let you give that one, but there, there's definitely easy examples of multiple schedules in real life. Yeah. And I, I know these are fairly commonly used in the clinical setting as well. Um, especially a lot of Dr. Uh, Greg Hanley's work involves multiple schedules in terms mm-hmm. of this card says 
that, you know, this is, it's my way, my turn to determine what activity we're working on. And then this color card is your way. Um, I think that's, I think it's the mm-hmm. my way procedure. The real life example that I was thinking of, uh, I'm a child of divorced parents. This probably also applies to a lot of other situations, but I go back to, I'm at mom's house right now. That means I have these snacks available to me. And when I go to dad's house, these other snacks are available to me and they're not a lot of overlap between those. And maybe that's not exactly your experience, but that was my experience is mom's house has this food and dad's house has this food. Um, and that's multiple schedule. Or requests, right? Like the schedule of reinforcement is different, you know? Um, yeah. Uh, classes, things like that, you know, in one class, the teacher, you know, answers uh, you if you raise your hand on a consistent basis in the other one, she doesn't. And so you learn and, and that you know, leads to that discrimination for sure. Uh, multiple schedules and then with mixed schedules and that's the next one we cover because it's the same rule as a multiple schedule but a mixed schedule I like to think of it as there's no signal so you're all mixed up so going back to my working example of a uh, an FR5 versus an FI 10 seconds well now you don't know which one's in effect so what do you do Um, and given that arrangement well if you can pop off five responses in less than 10 seconds and you produce the reinforcer probably keep doing that right so one two three four five and then i get reinforcement but if that stops working then i might switch over and start responding on my fi 10 second pattern and see if that one response after delay is consistent producing the reinforcer so you got to figure that out and this also happens in real life you know we all have that teacher or person we're in a relationship with or whatever who you cannot read and every day is a different adventure <laughs> you know and one day this behavior might work for you or the schedule might be in place and other days it isn't um oh i know i give the example sorry go ahead well i had a question about that because that is the like typical example and right before i hopped on this meeting i was like if somebody's in like different moods, right? And so, you know, when they're in a bad mood, you can ask them for anything, ask them to blink at you and they'll just stare, right? Cause no reinforcement. And if they're in a good mood, they'll do whatever you want. But after you have figured out which mood they're in, let's say that like their mood always lasts all day. Is it still a mixed schedule or does it now become a multiple schedule? Yeah, I'd probably say if you can discriminate, then it's not a mixed schedule anymore. It would okay. be the idea, right? Yeah, and we do quickly learn to figure yeah. those things out, right? We were looking for those SDs. Yes. Um, the other example I, I I give still is, uh, and it's kind of funny to me because I used to have a a, a, a laptop that was uh, Windows based and uh, a PC. That computer, you never knew what it was going to take to hop online. I had a, a, a USB uh, dry, a, a, a wireless adapter in it to update it to the most, whatever the current uh, you know requirement was. This was years ago. And sometimes all you had to do was plug in that USB adapter and reconnect to the internet. Other times you had to reboot the computer before we connected to the internet. Other times you had to go and reset the router before we connected to the internet. And it was the most frustrating thing because you never knew what schedule was in effect. What do I have to do today to make this work, right? And so yeah. that's, I think, of what a mixed schedule is. Something's going to fix this. You know, there's a, there's a response requirement, but I have no way of discriminating what it is. So I'm just kind of going to stay, you know, uh, go through it. So those are multiple and mixed. Then we go into the chain schedule. And a change schedule is what it sounds like. 
uh, linking uh, different requirements together, um, but there's signal changeover. So for example, and I, I like to keep running with the same example, if we have a chained FR5, FI 10 second schedule, green light comes on, you engage in the five responses, but now instead of getting the reinforcer, the red light comes on. Now that indicates that the next signal, uh, the next requirement is available and you um, wait 10 seconds and then respond, right? FI 10 seconds. And then you would produce the reinforcer and the light would turn green again. So green light, FR5, red light, wait that 10 seconds, respond, get the reinforcer. And that's a chain schedule. And then the tandem schedule is a chained without a... Uh, signal. So I, I just think of them as uh, here's my it's a weird and a mnemonic device, but bicycles have chains and there are tandem bicycles. So that's how I remember that tandem goes with chain Those and it's, more, it's the more complex one. I, you know, if it works, it's not weird, right? Yeah. So, so that's the tandem. And uh, so in the tandem examples, uh, two things I can think of. One would be when you're entering your password in on a computer, but you don't see the characters as you type. And I think everybody's experienced hitting that enter button, that return key, and it doesn't work because you did something wrong. But uh -huh. it didn't tell you when. You had no idea if you had completed each letter re uh, requirement correctly. And then the other example is for those who are old school, video game cheat codes, right? Left, right, left, right, up, down, up, down, A, B, B, A, unlimited lives. Yeah. Um, but again, it's a sequence of, 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 uh, of, of responses that you have to engage in. And there's no indication that you've completed any specific requirement, uh, like in a chain schedule. So that, that would be probably a real life example of a tandem schedule. The uh, other one... uh, combination locks too. combination locks, right? Yeah. You got to do 32, right? 42 left, 16, right? Whatever it is. Um, but it doesn't tell you if you did it correctly before you move on to the next sequence. Right. The other uh, tandem schedule that I thought of that I was so proud of myself, finger spelling. If you mess mm. a letter, um, the other person may not understand what you're trying to tell them. Uh, but as soon as your hand moves, you no longer have an SD to say which letter you just did or what was two letters mm. ago. So that's also a tandem. That's a good example. Yeah. And then the last two on this list are the kind of weird ones, um, but they do come up. An alternative schedule is an interesting arrangement. It's kind of like a concurrent schedule, except only one's available at a time. But, well, they're both available at the same time, but it's on one operand. So it's not really a choice, but it's a single response, but uh, either one will produce the reinforcer. And we actually use them to sort of show preferences for that. So again, I just like to run with the same examples. And if we're in an alternative FR5, FI 10 second, that would mean that either the fifth response or the first response after 10 seconds will produce the reinforcer. Right. But just think of it as like maybe we only have one lever that we can press. But uh, so in that situation, now you're going to start to see, are you the kind of person that would rather just get your reinforcer more often by popping off those five responses? Right. Or are you a person who'd rather just engage in one response every 10 seconds and just wait longer for the reinforcer? Right. And so that's what an alternative schedule would kind of produce. And I think that's another schedule that's used in the literature to sort of look at preferences for responding under different arrangements. Is that always the same operant? I thought I that it think so. necessarily have to be like, there's, I'll see a lot of examples of like, you can work on your math worksheet or your English worksheet, but whichever one you finish first, you're done. 
Is that not an alternative? Maybe. I just feel like maybe that would still be a concurrent schedule. But I guess if the reinforcer is the same and it's either one, then that maybe that would be an alternative schedule. And this is where it gets kind of hard, right? Is when you look yeah. at, at real life examples, you know, we can never say this is not going to be on the certification uh, exam. I can never tell you with confidence. So anytime, and anybody who does is, is wrong, you know, so I'm not going to tell <laughs> yeah. you, I'm not going to say that alternative schedules are not going to be on the BACB certification exam. They're but, not but talked you, about. But you could hear that sentence and take away the words I'm not going to say. I don't, <laughs> I, I would argue, and I think that Jim Carr would agree with me, that alternative schedules are probably not a minimal standard for behavior analysts to safely practice. Um, the, the task list I'm just says, use schedules of reinforcement. All alternative schedule is a schedule reinforcement. It, it's, it's, it's interesting to know, and it does have important applications, but if you're, if you're worried about that, or again, when we come up with examples, well, is it concurrent or is it alternate? Probably not gonna come up. Uh, and then that last one is the conjunctive schedule. And I think of that as a combination between a chain and a concurrent. A, concurrent, a conjunctive schedule is you have a, several components that have to be completed, but not in any specific order. They just all have to be completed. So you're an example, uh, reading and math both have to be completed, but I don't care which order you do them. Uh, and then you get your reinforcer. Uh, examples I like to use are shopping lists. So you're going to go to the grocery store, you have all your ingredients for your recipe, but how you shop for them doesn't really matter as long as you have them all at the end. Uh, and then uh, traveling, right? You're packing for a trip and you've got your clothes and your toiletries and your electronics and all that, but but the order doesn't really matter. So you just have to get them all before you successfully you know, leave for vacation. So I was a little confused when you said traveling, packing for traveling. Packing for traveling. Yeah, yeah, yeah the packing. Not actually traveling because you do have to get to the airport before you can get on the plane, before you That's can true. arrive yeah. at your destination, but packing. Yeah. Yeah. Order does matter there, but the packing doesn't really matter which order yeah. you pack as far in terms of your clothes and your toiletries and all that stuff. Yeah. Right. And so, you know, just kind of practicing with the definitions of these as we've kind of reviewed them and being able to have a good example. You know, I think when I was studying, I was always trying to explain things to uh, someone else. I would just say this stuff out loud. Okay, here's what this is. And so I think if you can do that, um, you'll probably be able to recognize examples of these different schedules. Uh, when you yeah. use them. And of course, we like to put uh, examples on our Boost Facebook page. And we've got lots of examples in the Mach 10 uh, product and also, of course, on the mock exam. So there's chances for students to practice those skills. Yes. No um, shameless plug. <laughs> <laughs> so we were actually talking about this before we pressed record today. Uh, I was today years old when I learned that simple and conditional discriminations are not that simple and that Cooper might not be correct about them. Es essentially, the TLDR is that everything's a conditional discrimination, basically. But what's a simple discrimination? Well, let's just start with the, maybe the definition of discrimination, which is responding in the presence of a stimulus mm -hmm. uh, because of a history of reinforcement and not responding in the absence of that stimulus uh, because of a history of non-reinforcement, right? And of course, that could also apply to punishment or extinction or those things. But um, when we discriminate, we behave differently given the circumstances. And the idea with a simple discrimination is that there's just a single SD. I show you a picture of Apple and you say Apple. But a conditional discrimination occurs when responding in the presence of a stimulus is conditional upon the presence of another stimulus. 
And so I can show you a picture of Apple and I can say, what is it? And the response Apple will be reinforced. But if I show you a picture of an Apple and I say, what color? Apple is not the correct response anymore and that will not produce reinforcement. For an individual with a learning history, when I say, what color is it? They're going to respond with red. Now, the card didn't change. My verbal stimuli changed, right? I can now say, what color is it? And I hold up a picture of a banana. And suddenly, the same question, what color is it, evokes a very differential response because of now the card has changed. The visual stimulus has changed, right? You're looking at a banana as I'm saying, what color is it? What what do you do with it would be another question I could ask with the same card. And all of those are going to produce different responses. And they go on and on. It can be very complex. For example, I can say, give me an example of a mand. That should produce a differential response then. Define a mand. Mm -hmm. I can also ask you to define a tact. And all of a sudden, it's a totally different response. So even within a question, you know, an arrangement of verbal stimuli, there are several factors there that are conditional. So I think the example you were talking about in the Cooper text, you know, we we had had a verbal stimulus and an item. And I go, I don't know. I think that may still be a conditional discrimination. Uh, it's just important to pay it, uh, to know about, to be aware of it, because we make these conditional discriminations so often, yeah. you know. Um, when I say I, and that's where the autoclitics come in. I don't, we're not having talked about verbal behavior, but I know we, we, you and I had a conversation about the autoclitic and it's, they're everywhere. Um, <laughs> yeah, those are a big part of conditional discriminations. I would like the largest chocolate chip cookie. In other words, don't give me a small oatmeal raisin cookie. You know, right. <laughs> I kind of think or so. A small all those chocolate factors, cookie or a large right. oatmeal raisin. Like yeah. all of these things matter. Right. All those, all those little details will produce a different response in the listener, right? And that's that's the idea here behind uh, conditional discriminations versus simple discrimination. There probably are some simple discriminations. They're hard to come up with, though, because real quickly you started to think, well, wait a second, maybe you're right. attending to this, you know, so. Well, and I, I think... As your initial example of a simple discrimination was holding up a card of an apple. And I think that you would know that it's a simple discrimination if reinforcement was available for any response, right? Whether I call it apple, whether I say it's red, whether I say food, right? Any of these are, if any of those are going to be reinforced, then it's a simple discrimination because I'm only attending to that card and labeling it however I'm labeling it, right? Yeah, because yeah, so there's just one SD. But then again, you could even argue when I show you a picture of an apple, what are you attending to? Are you attending to the color? Are you attending to the shape? And, and there's some interesting studies on that too, right? Is when we're teaching, what is the person really looking at when they when they learn apple? Is apple the shape? Is apple the uh, the color? Is apple you know what what is it that defines the apple? You know, concept formation, all that kind of fun stuff. So, yeah, I, I like your uh, opening statement for this segment, which is uh, simple discriminations may not be as simple as we thought, but they, you know, yeah. but the idea is recognizing when complex discriminations are occurring. And those are, are conditional discriminations. Sorry. And uh, those conditional discriminations, it's the, the responding in one stimulus is conditional upon the other one. You got to pay attention to both of them. Yes. And correct me if I'm wrong. We don't discriminate or distinguish between like two-factor conditional discrimination, three-factor, like it's all, we just call all of that 
conditional discriminations, right? Yeah, I don't think there's different terms for it. There certainly would be a level of functioning though, right? So as we acquire language, our ability to discriminate between more complex uh, verbal stimuli definitely comes into play. So, you know, uh, we talk about, you know, two-step and three-step directions. Those are probably a form of conditional discrimination, right? And so there's probably a buildup there, you know, of acquiring those abilities over time. But but we just call them conditional discrimination. Just more than more than stimuli there, right? Right. Okay. Cool. Well, to to the listener, thank you so much for listening uh, to this episode of Boost You. We hope you enjoyed this short form uh, and that you learned something. Um, if you did, we would love to hear about it email us. Our emails are in the description box um, and we will see you next time.